0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. So uh, I have something I want to share with you today, a message. And and, uh, if you're new here or you're a guest here, we've been going through the parables of Jesus in the New Testament. And um, if you don't know what a parable is, a parable is a story. It's a story that Jesus would have used that would have captured the ideas of the time he lived in. So, you know, most of the people that he dealt with were just common men and women who were, you know, farmers and fishermen. And, and so he used stories about their lives to illustrate and to demonstrate eternal truth from Scripture and from God's kingdom, what God is like, what, what God's rule and reign is like in the life of people. And he used these common stories. And we're going to look at a couple of stories today. And if you're a note taker and you want to know what the, the, I guess you could say the title of this message is, it's parables, selling all for a treasure and a pearl, selling all for a treasure and a pearl. As I already said, we're doing this uh, series on the parables of Jesus and I want to start with a question today, and I've been doing this a lot lately, but here's the question, and I want each of you to personalize it, but the question is simply this. What do you value above everything else in life? What is the most important thing to you? And this is how you'll know it. What are you willing to give and to sell everything you have? Like you'd be willing to part with anything and everything you have in order to either obtain or to hold on to what you have, what you want, what you desire. What is the most important thing in your life? We're going to look at two men today in the Bible who gave up everything to obtain either a treasure or a priceless pearl. And using the the idea of a story of Jesus telling a parable, we're going to dig a little bit deeper and we're going to kind of ask the Holy Spirit to search our own lives and to search our own hearts. And we're going to find out what we're willing to give it all up for Amen? Amen? You've almost got it. A little delayed, but that's okay. So uh, Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 through 46 are the main, is the main text we're going to look at today. It'll be up on the screen if you've got your own Bible and you want to look on there, you can. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, I want you to notice that phrase, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Wow. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Now as we start into this text today, I want to talk for a minute about the kingdom of heaven because Jesus starts out all of these parables, not not every one of them, but most of the parables in the 13th chapter of Matthew start with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Well, I guess the important question is what is the kingdom of heaven? And I've been defining it the last several weeks as the kingdom of heaven is that place where God's in charge, where God reigns where God rules. But there's a little more than that. The kingdom of heaven, in this case, was wherever Jesus was. For Jesus is the kingdom of heaven personified. He carries the kingdom with him everywhere he goes. And so when Jesus came on the scene, what did he do? He brought heaven's power, heaven's authority, heaven's wisdom. Heaven's teaching and knowledge. And as that kingdom came into the earth, it clashed with the kingdom of the age, with the kingdom of the Roman Empire around him. And so when Jesus faced sick bodies and sick minds, he restored them. And at that moment, power from heaven flowed through him. And we saw a little bit of what heaven's reign and heaven's rule is like when Jesus is on the scene. Right When Jesus spoke, he taught as one having authority. And whenever people heard him speak, they were struck by his words. They were convicted. They were given great joy and hope. His words had the ability to penetrate hard hearts and minds and bring people to a decision. And so when he spoke, the kingdom was demonstrated. When people were overcome by darkness demonic possession and oppression, and they came into the presence of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven around him and within him confronted those demonic presences, those devils, and they, they had to manifest themselves and then be cast from people. So over and over, Jesus. in fact, Jesus said at one point, He said, if I do by the finger of God cast out demons... The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. So over and over again, we see Jesus demonstrating the kingdom. The kingdom of God, according to Romans 14, 17, is not eating and drinking. So in other words, Paul at that point, he's dealing with people who are divided about who can drink what and eat what, and there's arguments going on in the church. And he says, listen, you're getting distracted by minors, but the major is not eating and drinking. That's not the most important thing. The kingdom of heaven is not that. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Where the kingdom of heaven is, things are made right that are wrong. Right relationships, vertical between us and God, happen. Horizontally, wrong relationships become right. Our interaction with our world, the crooked ways are straightened. The valleys are lifted up. The mountains are brought low and God makes a plain. So in other words, when the kingdom of God is present, stuff that's out of order and stuff that's wrong and stuff that's twisted and distorted and perverted gets made right and fixed and is made holy and beautiful. And what happens when things are made right? The shalom of God comes, the peace of God, that sense of well-being. All is right with the world. All is right with God and the people around me. And we experience a great inner sense and, and, and even our world around us becomes, we become aware that, wow, God's in this. And things are okay. Things are well again. The world is right again. In this little bubble that I'm in, things are right because God's kingdom rule and reign where He is in charge is at hand. And then what's the ultimate result of righteousness and peace? It's joy. Right? When when things are right, you know how this is. Think about your own relationships. We experience it many times. We'll have our family around. Maybe we're enjoying a, a celebration or a holiday or a birthday party or whatever. And you know, you're know you with people and, and the, the conversations that are happening um, are joyful. And, and you have these moments where you look around and you realize we are tasting a little bit of heaven right now. We experienced it this morning, people being baptized and people coming, to clo- coming closer to Jesus. A, a father over here stroking his children's hair. I was watching that. It was undoing me. It was beautiful. I'm like, that, it, that's the kingdom. That's the father heart of God toward his children, speaking tenderly to them, stroking them, baptizing them, and, and affirming them. Every one of those kids came away from that encounter knowing they're so valued and loved by their dad and their mom and their family. And see, this is the kingdom, the kingdom's at hand. So when we experience the kingdom of heaven on earth, it looks a certain way. And so Jesus says now, we've already heard, you know, a few different parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Well, now he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure and a pearl, and there's a man and a merchant. And they're willing to sell all and give all to obtain it. So what is this treasure? And what is this pearl? And what I'm going to do this morning is give you a few different views on it. Okay, so in my own studies and as I've looked at this over the years, different scholars, different theologians have different views of what the treasure and the pearl are. So we're going to look at what the treasure and the pearl are. And here here are three different views on the treasure. The first view is that the treasure in the field is the nation of Israel. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but in this view, Israel is the treasure, the field is the nations of the world, and the man is Jesus. And he gives his life to save and purchase Israel back. He gives his life because he came to go to the Jew first. And so in that particular view, Israel is the treasure. The scholars who hold this view are in the minority, and it's primarily held by a particular group of scholars and pastors but it is a view. The second view is that the treasure is, are those lost people that are in the world that are to be found, the lost who will be found. And in this particular view, they hold that the treasure is those who will believe in Jesus out of the world, taken out of the field, and the man is Jesus giving his life to save and purchase the treasure. And that's a beautiful view, also a view that's held in the minority. The third view, and this is the view I'm going to primarily teach on today, and it's the, it's the view that I believe is the right view, but, you know, I want you to go home and study it yourself, but this particular view is that the treasure is Jesus and His kingdom and that uh, it's the, this is the view that's been most widely held throughout church history, and it sees the treasure as Jesus and his kingdom, the field as all the world, and the man as the person who trusts in Jesus, seeing the value of Jesus and his kingdom, and is now willing to give up everything that he might have Christ, she might have Christ. This person is not buying their salvation because salvation is a free gift, but they've seen a treasure, they've seen a pearl, and the beauty of it is so captivating that they're willing to give up everything that they might have, that they they might obtain it. And so that's the view that I want to primarily focus on today, the priceless pearl. Again, pearls are hidden deep inside of clams, and, and treasures are often buried and hidden, and they're away from the public eye. One of the things that makes them valuable is that they must be found and discovered. Jesus doesn't tell us why this treasure is buried and hidden, but it's in a field for some reason. He doesn't give us the background. He doesn't deal with the ethics of a man going to somebody else's field, and and, you know maybe he's doing work for the man, and he's digging or whatever, and all of a sudden, clink, clink, and he opens up a treasure chest, and he's like, ooh, and then goes and... You know, sells everything to buy. He doesn't deal with the ethics of it. He just makes the point that in this field is something valuable, and a man is willing to give up everything for it. And the man who dives for the per the excuse me the merchant who looks for pearls, pearls too they're hidden away deep inside of a clam. I read a testimony the other day, a story the other day I should say, about a couple that was uh, they were they were going clamming and they pulled a clam out on the east coast of the United States and. You know, they were, they were going through, taking the shells off, getting the clams out, and they came upon this incredible purple pearl, giant purple pearl. They couldn't even place a value on it. And it was about to be thrown out, and they, they looked again, and here was this pearl. So pearls can be hidden away. Uh, I'm sure there are literally thousands or millions of pearls that are never discovered that have great value. They develop through the irritation of sand in the clam. Do you know how pearls are made? It's pretty profound, right? There's a little bit of sand or a rock inside the shell and it begins to irritate the clam and the clam secretes different fluids that go around it to protect and deal with the pain and the irritation and out of that forms something beautiful. It sounds very gospel, doesn't it? Out of the suffering and the pain that happens many times in our, in our world and through Jesus Christ we see beautiful things come out of it, treasures, valuable things. And uh, in this particular parable, there are also three views. The first view is that the pearl is the church. And um, that those who would believe in Jesus come out of the depths of the nations. And the man is Jesus giving his life to save and purchase the priceless pearl. The second view, again, is the, the lost to be found that the priceless pearl is those who will believe in Jesus out of the depths of the nation and the man Jesus is giving his life to save and purchase. very similar because the church is made up of the saved. And the third is that the pearl, and this is again the view that I'm going to hold and teach from, the pearl is Jesus and his kingdom. This view again is the most widely held throughout church history and it sees the priceless pearl as Jesus and his kingdom and the man as the person who trusts in Christ sees the value of Jesus and His kingdom, and is willing to give up everything to have Him. Again, the person is not buying their salvation, because salvation is the free gift of God, but once their eyes are open to the beautiful thing that's in front of them, they are more than willing, joyfully willing, to give it all up that they might obtain it. Amen? Amen. All right, you're getting it. You're moving faster with my amen time. Okay. So let's take a minute and just again, let's look at the man. Who's the man? The man here is either Jesus finding Israel, Jesus finding the lost, or new believers finding the value of the kingdom. And in the case of the merchant finding the pearls, it's either Jesus finding his church, finding the lost, or new believers finding the value of Jesus and his kingdom. The New American Commentary says this, interestingly, in the parable of the pearl, the man is searching for wealth. Whereas in the parable of the hidden treasure, the man stumbles across it. As with the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast, Jesus is reaching out to every person in his audience. He calls the spiritual seeker as well as the apathetic atheist. He wants to reach everybody. So some people, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it's been my own experience. Some people weren't looking for God when they found him. You ever been there? you're going about your life hanging out in some field somewhere. You're doing your work, you're doing your thing, and all of a sudden, God breaks in on your life and shocks you and surprises you. And you're like, oh, wow, God is real. And then there are people that are on a quest. They're on a spiritual quest. And, you know, they're dabbling in different religions. They're dabbling in different kinds of spiritualities. You know, they're calling God like the universe and and, and they're, they're, they're just engaging in a lot of seeking and hunger for something. They know something isn't right with the world, and they want to engage, and they're kind of looking. And I believe even that looking is God's wooing and God's drawing. The Spirit is influencing them and giving them a deep hunger and a deep desire, and as they're looking, they find And Jesus is speaking to both kinds of people, people who are going about their business. They don't care anything about God. They're not looking for God. God and bam, and then you have the others, right, that are on a quest, and they're out there, we're out there, right, we're those people, and this man finds a priceless pearl, think about that, a priceless pearl, and it says here on the parable of the treasure, in his joy, he sells all. I want to talk about that for a minute. in his joy because if you're um, a note taker and you want the big thought, the key idea, if you want to have a takeaway, you walk out the door, what was really the, the center point, what was the most important thing about that message? It would simply be this, that selling all and giving all because you see Jesus in his kingdom is not some bummer, burdensome thing. I talk to people, they talk... They, they talk about following God like it is the worst thing in the world. Who wants to follow that? It's like, yeah, you know, the Lord just, Lord just making me give up everything. Life's rough, and, but i got to follow him. You know, he hits me upside the head with a two-by-four. I hear people talk like this about God. God just, you know, God had to get my attention, so he hit me upside the head with a two-by-four. And, yeah, life's been hard, and I feel like I'm giving up everything. And I'm just like, wow. Did you forget about the treasure? Have you handled the pearl recently? Have you looked at him? Have you beheld the beauty of the cross again? Where are you looking? Because our focus in where we're looking is really going to affect how we value something. Right? And the text says, for the joy. Because many times when, when people talk about following Christ, they talk about the sacrifice. Everything they had to give up. You know, I told you last week that I went to uh, California to a, High school reunion, and, and I hadn't been to one in many, many years, or I have never been to one of my high school reunions, and I went to this reunion, and, and, uh, and, and through the process of going to that reunion, I, I experienced grief. Some things came up. There was a lot of cool things, too, but I experienced some grief, and part of the grief was recognizing that as I began to follow Christ, I kind of lost a lot of friendships. I lost relationships. And I, I, I kind of experienced a little bit of the grief of that again. But then I thought about it. Would I change that story? Would I go back if I could in time and change something about that? Absolutely not. I got the treasure. I got the pearl. I got him. He's the all in all. He's the everything. He's better than anything I could have gained from any human relationship. Amen. In his joy. Ha! It's treasure. Oh my gosh. I gotta hurry up and put it back and bury it and go buy this field. Oh my god, I can't wait. (laughs) The pearl. I'm looking everywhere. Somebody comes to the table. Look at this. Oh, I want that. I gotta have that. I'll give you everything I've got everything i've got sell all give all for him right the parable doesn't focus on the sacrifice but the joy of obtaining something that is priceless following jesus and living in his kingdom life is worth any sacrifice we can offer it's a joy to give anything to have him and his kingdom you know many of you in this room that are younger wouldn't remember this particular person i'm going to talk about but Tony Blair was the British prime minister in the 90s, and he wrote a book in 2010 called The Journey, and he shared this story in this book. He he shares this. He says, A friend of mine whose parents were immigrants were Jews from Europe who moved to America in search of safety. I think they were moving to America to get away from Germany and the Holocaust and all the terrible things that happened. And it says... Um, they lived and they worked in New York. They were not well off. They were very poor. And this man's father died when he was young. His mother lived on. And in time, uh, this friend of his succeeded and became very wealthy, very successful. And he often used to offer his mother the chance to travel abroad. Mom, let, here, you want to travel around the world? I have the money, I have the means. Go enjoy some of your life. You can travel outside of the United States. But she never wanted to, she never wanted to leave. When eventually she died, they went back to recover the safety box where she kept her jewelry. They found there, uh, uh, next to the safety box, another box, and there was no key to this box. So they had to drill it open, split it open, and they wondered, what precious jewel is inside of this box? So they eventually, they lifted the lid, and, and they went through wrapping after wrapping after wrapping, and all that was in the box was an envelope. And they opened that envelope, and in that envelope were this woman's U.S. citizenship papers. Wow, nothing more. To her, that was the greatest jewel, the most precious thing she ever had. To her, that was her greatest possession. It's what she treasured most. And the reason she did is because she knew that that place and my citizenship there preserved me, preserved my family. Everything that comes after me was a result of what I valued in that citizenship. And it's the same way in the kingdom. It's the same way. In fact, it's more so. Our love for Jesus and His kingdom must even surpass our love of country. Do I need to say that again? Our love of Jesus and His kingdom must even surpass our love of country. Right? The kingdom of heaven is the greatest thing. And remember, the kingdom of heaven is always contained within the person of Jesus. If you get Jesus, you get the kingdom. If you get Jesus, you get it all. C.S. Lewis said, you know, if you aim for earth, you lose it and everything else. But if you aim for heaven, you get the earth and everything else thrown in with it. The meek shall inherit the earth, right? In the end. Those who focus in the right place and make Jesus and his kingdom their greatest treasure, their great priceless pearl, those people will experience everything else. So we're willing to lose all that we may gain him because in gaining him we get everything. But we don't even care about the everything because we got him. (laughs) Amen. So what does this man do? What does this merchant do? They go and they sell everything they have. And... um, they give it all up. The, the, man, the merchant, he goes and sells everything so that he can get this pearl. And he, again, is like the person who's been on a spiritual quest. He's trying to discover all he can about God or gods or karma or whatever. He's on this search, and in the midst of that search, he finds Jesus. And when Jesus is revealed, he sells all. The man goes and he buys the field. He gives up everything. He knew the value of the treasure in the field. For him, it was worth everything he owned to buy the field to get the treasure. And the field, think about it. And this principle applies to so many things in life. The field had rocks and weeds, I'm sure, right? I mean, I remember when I first came to Moses Lake. I remember when we first moved here. And I came to help my dad start the church. And it's interesting because today is literally the 35th year anniversary today that we arrived in Moses Lake. Peggy and I arrived in Moses Lake together. We drove up here. A friend of ours drove us up here in his van and dropped us off. We didn't have a car. We weren't sure about a place to live. I didn't have a job. You know what I had? A word from God. And I'm not suggesting you do this unless you have a very clear word from God. And we land in Moses Lake 35 years ago today, November 12th, 1988. On November 13th, I preached my first sermon ever in a church from Acts chapter 6 on the ministry of deacons. That's what I preached on the first Sunday I was here. And I'm looking at this and and I'm thinking about this, but when we first arrived in Moses Lake, 1988, Moses Lake's population was around 11,000 and it was podunk, baby. And I remember being like, people live here? You know how it is. Those of you who came to Washington from somewhere else, Washington, mountains, beautiful lakes, vistas, volcanoes, snow-capped mountains, evergreen. Thank you. I remember the first time we drove up to Moses Lake, right? We're coming from Portland and we head down to 84 and we're getting past the Dalles and we continue to head east. Like, where's all the green going? Where'd the trees go? <laughs> Head north through Tri-Cities, you're coming up, flat land, <laughs> tumbleweeds, whew, across the freeway, right? But farmland and lush and, but initially, I don't want to get into the smells, but initially, <laughs> initially I, I, I wasn't impressed, but God was doing something here. There was a treasure in the field. With its, with its rocks and its weeds and the, the different things that maybe made the field not so appealing. I mean, you know, a lot of us in our life, you know what we're looking for. We're looking for that field that's got vistas. It's got the view, got the little pond, nicely landscaped. And we think that because life isn't like that, there's no treasure. But treasures are often found in fields that people wouldn't choose. I'm not going to hide a treasure in a beautiful place. People are going to expect it to be there. I'm going to go someplace that people would think, that's desolate, and I'm going to put a treasure there. And so, you know, over the years, this place has become more and more beautiful to my eyesight. And I've come to love it and value it and treasure it. It's come to be a place that I've, Literally, we literally sold everything we had and moved here just so we could be a part of what God was doing here. It's beautiful. And the same with the man who bought the pearl. He sold all. He saw the preciousness of the pearl, the pricelessness of the pearl, and he sold all. And so I want to start or I want to end again with the question I had at the beginning. What is it in your life that you value more than anything else? Is it your family, is it your marriage, your career, is it your bank account? What is it, esteem, recognition? What is it? Because Jesus' kingdom is far greater than whatever it is that you have. And the beautiful thing about the Lord is when we give Him everything we have and are, what He gives back to us is what He really intended for us and what will bring us the greatest joy, the greatest sense of fulfillment, and the greatest pleasure. Amen? So, So, you ready to sell it all that you might obtain Him, you might find Him?